All right, well, let's go ahead and get started with our uh, Roman study, and, and we'll go ahead and go to God and ask, ask His blessings on our study. Lord and Father, we come to You, and we just thank You for this um, timeless truth that we have in Your Word, and we just pray that as we open it, that we open it um, holding um, with integrity, knowing that we're not trying to fit it to our um, doctrine. Father, it's our heart's desire to know the truth. And so, Lord, we just pray that you give us each here discernment um, through the Spirit that we might uh, better know uh, know you and know the things that were done on our behalf or, and, and for us. And so, Father, just pray for this study and pray for the services to follow. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 3. I'm going to turn there. We left off in verse 24. Verse 23, if you remember, I'll read it there. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, all have sinned and hence been found guilty. And Paul has been making that case since Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20. He's been making the case that all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God, therefore all are guilty. And what we're getting ready to talk about today is righteousness and how that works. And understand that man, uh, it's often said man has a sin problem. That's true. Man has a son problem, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is true. But ultimately, man has a righteousness problem. And that's uh, the result of sin. Um, Sin was what caused the righteousness problem. We are going to see, and Paul is going to point out, the only way that we can be reconciled to God is if we put on his righteousness. So understand, your problem is a righteousness problem. Whenever it's a matter of us being reconciled to God, uh, way back in the beginning, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, you know, Satan says that, you know, that, uh, you know, back whenever they sinned, that if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will know both good and evil. And we've talked before that the word know there is not just to have necessarily knowledge of. It's more of an experiential situation. And whenever man rebelled, they did know evil. And at that, po- at that moment, man went from ha- being in the image of God and in some ways, ways that we can't even fully explain, uh, besides this, our righteousness was removed. It was gone. And the only way to fix that righteousness problem today is to put on Christ's righteousness. And that's what Paul's getting ready to talk about here, is you have a righteousness problem. And so he's, he's already showed that man is, all man is guilty. And so whenever he says here, all have sinned, and, and uh, uh, verse 20, they're all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it's a good thing that the, the, that's not the end of the book, right? It's a good thing that's not the end of the story. Because if it was, we'd be in a pretty bad place. Because understand, the next thing um, that was supposed to happen when Israel rejected the kingdom that was offered to them, the next thing that was supposed to happen was the tribulation period, which means God's pouring of wrath on mankind because of their rebellion, because of their sin. That was the next thing that was going to happen. And so Paul's getting ready to talk about some new things. That, that And so understand, as we'll talk about later in the service today, that um, had, um, had God continued along with his prophetic program, the tribulation would have came, man would have been judged for their sin. So God's wrath would have been poured out. Know that um, under that program, under that situation, Gentiles could be saved, but it's through or was through the nation of Israel. And that word through is going to come through or be seen in today's or this morning's study as long as I don't spend too much time on this introduction. And we can actually get into more than one verse. But Gentiles were saved through the nation of Israel, and it's no longer through the nation of Israel. And in verse 21, we saw this but now. And we talked about those two words and what that means. That means there's a change. There was a change that took place. And instead of being saved through the nation of Israel, but now we see in verse 22 that it's all those that believe. There was a time when it wasn't a matter of just if you believed. If you were a Gentile, 
even when in, in Christ's earthly ministry, believing wasn't enough. You had to come in through the nation of Israel. And so Paul has made this legal argument for man's guilt and will now make a legal argument for how God can and does declare man righteous. And that's the great thing about God's word is, is he's not going to just say, it's done, take my word for it. You're going to see Paul make a legal argument for your justification. You just made the legal argument for your guilt, and now you're going to see it for your justification. In the next few verses, we see some key words that, um, you know, Bringing uh, Bible Society put out these vi- this video. Um, great stuff they put out there. Key words of our faith. Well, in these next few verses, we see key words of our faith. Things like justified, grace, redemption, propitiation, righteousness. All of those things are going to be in these next few verses. Those are key words, things that uh, you would do well to understand how they work. And so, uh, any questions on any of that before we, before we get started? Comments? Okay. Starting verse 24. The desire is to get through 24 to 26. So I'm going to read all of those, and then we'll go back and look at them. So just reading verse 23 for context. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in in Jesus. And again, I say this all the time, there's a lot of meat on that bone that we're, we're going to take our time and look at here. And so that's the context of what we're talking about here. Verse 24, being justified. What does justified mean? Righteous. Declared righteous. Very good. Now that's, again, righteous righteousness is your issue, my issue. Before Christ, I should say, that is our that is the issue that the um, the unbeliever has today is righteousness. Job asks a very pertinent question regarding this issue. Go to Job chapter twenty five, verse four. Job, right before Psalms, chapter twenty five, verse four. He asks, "How is it that a man can be justified before God?" Job got it, meaning he got the problem, not necessarily knew how it happens. Job 25, verse 4, how then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Well, Paul is getting ready to explain how that works in Romans chapter 3 for us. But you can see all the way back then, uh, again, it's believed that Job was a contemporary of around the time of Abraham. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I'll ask Job when I see him. So, um, But we can see there was a righteousness problem. There was a justification because all the way back in the garden, whenever, whenever we were marred because of sin, our, it was our righteousness which is our justification. When our righteousness was marred, we were no longer justified. And so here Job has this question. No, the justification has to do with God's declaration about the sinner. Okay? So whenever you're not declared righteous, whenever you're not righteous, whenever you're not justified, that is God's declaration about you, is that you are... In, a, in that situation. Being justified, uh, at least in some ways, this is not the uh, all, um, un, this isn't the, the full understanding, I guess I should say. Being justified, when someone is justified, it uh, declares someone to be not guilty before God. Think of like, again, a legal case, a court case. And so, um, um, but, if being justified means that you're not guilty before God, and Paul here in, in verse 
um, these verses above, we says we're already found guilty. How, how is it that you can be justified if you were already found guilty? How can you be declared not guilty when you were already declared guilty? How can, how can somebody commit the crime, go before the judge, and the judge say you're guilty, but then say not guilty? How does that work? And that's the question with 26. Look at verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier. See, throughout all of history, David didn't know, Moses didn't know, Job didn't know. Nobody knew how is it that God was going to be both just and the justifier. How could God declare man righteous? How could man justify an ungodly sinner and at the same time be just? Think of the situation yourself before a judge. You go before, you know, somebody commits a crime, somebody does some damage to your house, and you go to court, and the guy, the, the, you know, the, the judge says guilty, not guilty. You're not going to think that judge was very just, right? No. And so this was the issue. How is it that God is going to be both just and the justifier? Because you've been found guilty, but now you're declared righteous. Well, and that's what this is talking about here. So, but this is going to become clear as we, as we continue on. The other thing that's, that's interesting about this being justified is once you are declared righteous, once you are justified, your past can no longer catch up with you. Amen. Yeah, isn't that great? Amen's fantastic. You guys are familiar with the term cancel culture, right? We see that today all over the place where somebody... Maybe it's something they've just done. But oftentimes what we've seen in society recently is somebody who did something 25 years ago, you know, and there weren't tweets out 25 years ago, but maybe they tweeted something eight years ago. And what does it do? It comes back to bite them. And all of a sudden society finds out about it and they're canceled. We won't use your business. We won't, you know, watch your movies. We won't whatever. This is that cancel culture. Well, guess what? When you're justified before God, your past can no longer catch up with you. And I wish Christians would understand that today. Being justified means that it can no longer, no longer happen to you. So you go from a sinner that's condemned in verse 23 that says here that we're all guilty. We're all of sin and come short of the glory of God. You go from a sinner who's condemned to justified. And I don't mean that you're seeking that. 1 Corinthians, turn to 1 Corinthians with me. Chapter 6, verse 11. First Corinthians chapter 6. Notice the tense that Paul uses, meaning past tense, present tense. Um, but notice what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Paul here is, is remarking about how the ways of the world is. and um, He says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So understand that as you understand righteousness and justification, that when you meet that level today in the day of grace, when, when you are justified, it's not a, well, until the next time I sin. It's done, it's over with, and it's past tense. Did you have your hand up? Yeah, my New King James says were. Were? So yeah, be yeah. past tense, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, in other words, you are, in other words, you already have it oh. because you were. So in other words, not, not the idea of you will be kind of a thing. So yeah. Um, so good for pointing that out because, yeah, um, there are going to be differences on, on, on translations. And so, um, yeah, you were sanctified. You were justified. And that happens whenever you put your faith and trust in Christ's finished work. It's done. It's over with. And, and so, again, we can't be canceled. Our Lord Jesus doesn't work that way. And we should be able to praise God every day for something like that. This uh, idea of being justified, as, as we just saw here in, in Romans 3, that exact, if you can call it a phrase when it's only two words, um, is used three times in Scripture. 
and you have it this time right here. And then you have it in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I want to look at these for a second. So, as you flip the page, you're justified freely, which is what we just saw in Romans 3. Here in Romans 5, you're justified by faith. As a result, we have peace with God. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Titus chapter 3, verse 7. That being justified, being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so from this, we, we see that we freely by grace, um, we've been justified. So freely by grace through the redemption in Christ. Let me say it again. You've been justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ. So that's when we combine these together. That's what we have. Freely by grace through the redemption in Christ. By faith we have peace with God through Christ. And by grace we are made heirs. See how more complicated just understanding being justified can be? There's so much more to it. We are... We have peace with God because of our justification. By grace through that justification, we are made heirs. And it's freely that this is all done to us. Which is the next thing I want to talk about. Look at that back to Romans 3. It says being justified freely. What do you think that means? Nor do we have to do anything necessarily. And ultimately... What, what it usually is talking about here freely is, uh, is, are those things, those things are true, but it's undeserved is what it's talking about here. You were, you were justified, what's that? Without cause. Mm-hmm. You were justified, and that's what we're going to really look at, is, is without a cause, freely, undeserved is what this is talking about here. And so uh, it's not a, necessarily a contrast between um, grace and law. Some would look at this and say, we are justified freely. In other words, you don't necessarily have to do anything like you did under the law. No, it's talking about the idea of, of you um, not deserving it. Um, it's the same word that's used in, in John 12. Turn to me there. I'm sorry, John 15. John chapter 15, verse 25. Remember what it said about Jesus, that they hated him, what? Without a cause. Same word. John 15, 25. It says, But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. This is the same word in the Greek that we just read here freely. And, and understand here that... You've been given grace. You've been justified without a cause. Obviously, the only cause would be God's love towards you. That's the cause. But as far as you, Christ, they didn't hate Christ. They, Christ didn't give, give them a reason to hate him. You didn't give God a reason for him to justify you. You're justified freely, undeserved, without a cause. And so again, men hated Christ without a reason. And God declares the believer, understand that, the believer, righteous without a cause. And this grace that uh, we're looking back here at Romans 3, that you're justified freely by His grace. What does grace mean? Unmerited favor, yes. Anybody know, you know what uh, each letter means or what's often used? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at expense. In other words, unmerited favor. Here you basically, again, are being pushed upon you that you have this, not because in as much as man wants to think, you know, I'm a good person, really. You know, really, I'm not that bad, is what, is what they think. And because of that, if God didn't save me, then he would just be a bad God. That's the mentality that people have out there. If God didn't save me, then he's the one that's wrong. Well, no. 
we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but he did it anyway. And sooner, sooner that we realize that and that we can truly understand what grace is all about and we can really understand um, the love of Christ that um, has been shown towards us. Um, according to Ephesians chapter 2, it's a gift. That grace is a gift. Let's just go there. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And so that grace is God's gift to you. And so it's not something that we can earn or deserve or that God is somehow obligated to give to us. Go back to Romans 3, and you've, you've seen me maybe use a little inflection whenever I've come across this word through. That's a really big thing to understand. I mentioned before that Gentiles could be saved in the past through the nation of Israel. We've seen the word through a few times here, and it's through faith. And it's, that's the means. That's your, that's, that's your access. Is, it's through faith. Through the redemption, is what it says here, that's in Christ Jesus. Back to Romans 3, it says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, what is redemption? What does redeemed mean? Ultimately, it's a releasing that's affected by payment of ransom. Purchased. And so the idea of a redemption, you, you, can, you have a couple of different um, examples that you can use, illustrations you can use. You can think of uh, the slave market where somebody can redeem a slave. They pay the ransom for that slave and they redeem them out of bondage. Um, maybe you're familiar with American, well, not just American history, world history, the idea of debtor's prison, right? Debtor's prison, you owe something that you can't pay. They put you in prison guess what? You stay there until it's paid. And hopefully you've got an uncle or a sister or a brother who can pay that and redeem you out of there. So the idea of redemption is the idea of a payment that is made that that, that pays a ransom that purchases somebody their freedom or purchases them out of a situation. That's the idea of what redemption is. So you're declared, looking at the verse here, verse 24, you're declared righteous undeservedly by the unmerited favor through that purchasing that is in Christ Jesus. Think of it. That verse says all of that just in that one verse. How? I think it's pretty crazy. And so Christ we see um, is the channel. So we see that that through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No longer is that channel the nation of Israel. Now it's all to believe through the redemption is, that's in Christ Jesus. And so again, you know, to you guys and me, this sounds like, oh yeah, we know all this stuff. But guess what, people? Until Romans is written, nobody knew this stuff. Until Romans is written, you know, the only way that anybody would know is from Paul telling people that mystery that had been given to him. There was a time when, again, this is radically new stuff. This is the stuff that the Jews stoned Paul over. What do you mean they don't have to come through us, Israel? That was the mindset. And now Paul has this radically new thing that nobody understood before, that you don't need Israel. All you need is your faith and the belief in the finished work of Christ. Again, that, that, that's a radically new, new thing that's on the scene. And so... Um, that's what that's what he's talking about here. He had to pay this ransom, and um, again, that kind of opens another discussion: the idea of um, the fact that what kind of situation were we actually in? And so, look at Romans chapter six. What's that? Hopeless. Yeah, very hopeless. Romans six twenty three. Now, if I asked everybody to raise your hand, if you sinned, I guess everybody would raise their hand, right? And you know there's a 
there's a payment for that. There's a wage for that. You go to your job, you want to get paid. Well, guess what? When you sin, you get paid whether you want it or not. And what is that? Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. So that's what you, that's what you earn. That's what I earn. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the only way in which we could um, pay that sin debt is if Christ Jesus paid that sin debt. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. It says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, in righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ Jesus was made those things for humanity. And there's no way to get those things apart from Jesus Christ. Christ was specifically born, died, so that mankind was able to receive these things. There is no skirting around it. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7. Here's this word through again, the channel. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom, talking about Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So that's the means. Christ has to be that channel. Go over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians 1, 14 in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So again, the Bible is very consistently telling us that the only means um, in which somebody can have those things is through Christ, through his blood, and that's the only way that it's going to happen. Any questions on verse 24, comments? Sure. <laughs> on the there's a phrase there, fought back, meaning we were his to begin with until we believed the lie of Satan and followed him and gave him lordship over us. So to me that's even deeper and it says when he fought us back because you know, he could have just left us and said, Well they they departed, they went their own way, but no, he just that's where that word mercy to me comes in, so and then when he puts in Christ, the, the grace. Because the mercy, we definitely don't deserve it. Sure. And yeah. I just thought that word bought back instead of just bought sometimes is, is just a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Because his love for it, because he said it was good when he made us. Mm-hmm. And then we just left the goodness. <laughs> we did. Yeah, mankind did. And, and so, yeah, we've been bought back. It says we, Scripture says we were enemies. Um, and mankind has a hard time. I, I guess they're too busy listening to Oprah Winfrey or something. You know, they're thinking that, uh, oh, we're not that bad. Or, or again, the idea that um, any God who would condemn and judge man just isn't a good God. No, we declared him our enemy is what man did. That's what, that's what man did. said that we will not have, even though it was during Christ's earthly reign that we see that the Jews said that we will not have this man to reign over us, that's exactly the same thing that Adam said. That's exactly the same thing we say whenever we sin. So, yeah, and, and so Christ most certainly bought us back. And so I appreciate you making that comment there, Lenny. Romans 3.25 says that whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Again, a lot of stuff there starting with this idea that's set forth, whom God has set forth. Set forth. Uh, man was all condemned, and God acted. Now, that's not enough to, to get you inspired right there. Is We were in that place that Valerie had mentioned earlier, hopelessness. And God did something. He acted. He saw our, our most important need. He saw that thing that we needed most, and he did something. And so he didn't provide us something we didn't need. He provided us that that one thing. 
And sometimes as Christians, and, and man's always probably been like this, I would say, we're always looking for him to give us those things that we don't really need. We may want, and it's okay to want those things, and, and, and sometimes it's okay to pray for those things. But rejoicing in the fact that he gave us that, that thing that we really need is, is what we need to. And it says here, he set forth. In other words, he set forth Christ. He put forward is what this is talking about. He put forward Christ publicly is what he's talking about here. Look at Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25. Who was delivered, think of that word, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He was delivered. He was set forth. He was put forward as that thing that we most desperately need. Look at Romans 8, 32. I don't even really turn there. This is the very first verse I ever memorized. Never, ever forget it. Remember exactly where I was, where I memorized this verse after becoming a new believer. Think of what this is saying. He that spared not his own son, but what? Delivered him up. He put him forward. For us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And so that's the concept of what this means by set forth, is that God put him forward. I don't know too many parents. And we may think it's a less thing. That, you know, oh God, what does it mean? I don't know too many parents that are going to put forth their children as a sacrifice. You know, but God did. Christ did. Christ created knowing that he would have to be put forth as that offering. And that, to me, is just amazing. So it says he's set forth. So he put forth as a propitiation. The idea of propitiation is a satisfaction. This comes to us from Exodus chapter 25, and it's that cover that's over the Ark of the Covenant. So the, you know the Ark of the Covenant that you know, from, from Raiders of the Lost Ark? You ever seen that, that box that's golden? And on the top you had that cover. In between those wings that the angels are facing each other, that's that mercy seat. That's where the priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of the spotless lamb on there, and it was the satisfaction. That, would, that was God's place of mercy. God was satisfied until the next year, the day, next day of atonement. And so whenever it says here that he was, Christ is our propitiation, he is that mercy seat. He is, he is that that place in which God is satisfied for the sin. It's done. It's paid for. And this is why we, it, we, we need to understand. And, and you personally need to know how to rightly divide because when you don't know how to rightly divide, you're going to be pulling in things from the Old Testament. You're going to be pulling in things from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that just don't apply to you. And one of those things is going to be where you, you don't have eternal salvation. Well, Christ is that propitiation. He died once. For all sin. He will not go back on the cross again. It's not going to happen. And we've already learned, guess what? There is no more offer for sin to be paid for anymore other than Christ's offering. And so uh, understand that propitiation covers it all. And then we see here this next statement, through faith in his blood. Um, And this is just an expression of his death. And, and so it's through the blood, right? Well, the blood was because of the death. And life is in the blood. And blood is what makes atonement for sin. Go to Leviticus. Leviticus 17, verse 11. It's not uh, a new uh, concept. God had made that known. Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Without the shedding of the blood, what? There is no forgiveness of sins. Why? Because the blood is where the life is. Science didn't figure that out for a long time. Guess what? You drain the blood, there is going to be no more life. It just ain't going to happen. And so 
God was very consistent, very back, all the way back in the beginning. And so when this talks about the idea that it's through faith in his blood, it's because of his death, that blood that was spilt. Therefore, we have that propitiation, that satisfaction of God. Verse 26. To declare, I say, notice those next three words, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. So, parsing the sentence down just a minute, to declare, I say, at this time, notice, what is it declaring at this time? That he might be just and the justifier. So what this verse is telling you is is that God is now declaring how he is both just and the justifier. He wasn't declaring that in the past. Again, David didn't know. Job didn't know. All of them, they they longed and and, and they prayed and they they believed that they would be declared righteous. They believed that you had to be declared righteous, but they didn't understand how it would happen. One of the privileges that we have today is with the finished word of God through that progressive revelation. Not only are we saved by grace through faith, but we also have this an understanding that they didn't have back then. Yeah, they may have, in, in Jesus' day, in the Pentecost, they may have spoken tongues. Yeah, they have the promise to move mountains. And then before that, they had prophets. They had Elijah calling down fire, but they still didn't understand certain things that you and I get to understand today. And that is, is how God can be just and the justifier. And that, to me, I don't know if that is amazing to you, but it should be amazing. So that's why I tell you that it says here, and I point out to declare, I say at this time. Remember, just a few verses before that, he says, but now, verse 21, the righteousness of God without the law is made known, is manifested. Again, but now, at this time. This is that new stuff that Paul is talking about here. And then he says this thing here that some people get confused about, that uh, the sins of the past. Well, that's not talking about your past sins. So it's not talking about how you can be forgiven for your past sins. It's talking about, again, this just and justifier, how God could, could declare his righteousness. Because guess what? Was, was David or um, Solomon, were they ultimately saved because of an offering that was taken before the Ark of the Covenant? No. They were ultimately saved because Christ came to make that offering. But they didn't know that. They didn't understand how that all worked. So um, this, this idea is understood today. Um, but so what this is telling us here is, is that um, this just and this justifier, his righteousness for the remissions of sin, um, for the sins that are past, this is talking about those sins in history even those sins in which God looked over or looked past because he knew, they didn't know, he knew that Christ was going to make that ultimate offer. It is, that's what this is a reference to, is the sins of the past of all history. God has now made it known how those things are covered because they didn't know. How many of you heard or were taught that oh, they, um, the, the people in the past, they looked forward to Christ's um, death on the cross? Well, let me give you a hint. They most certainly did not. They didn't know it. The 12 apostles didn't even know it. None of them knew it. Jesus was with them for th- the 12 apostles for three years, and they still didn't know it. And so, no, David and them, they didn't understand. And that's what these verses are talking about, is that he might be just in the justifier right now to declare at this time for the sins that are from the past. I, does that make sense? Are you guys comprehending me? Okay. Any questions on that aspect of it? Okay. So that's what that, that's really talking about. And again, I've, I've driven home the point of the just and the justifier. Uh, how is it that God can be just and justify the ungodly? And um, the other thing to understand here is, is, again, that Paul continues to remind us is God is just to judge, and he remains just in justifying us. Again, we, we think of it in the rationale of it going to a court system. You know, that judge who justifies the, the, the person who does the crime, we wouldn't attribute that judge to be very just. Well, our God, 
keeps his justness by declaring this. And so Paul here is laying down the legal argument for that. But I, but I do want to tell you that God is not merely calling the believer not guilty. He's not merely saying, in the example like I gave you, he's not merely saying, you're guilty, but I'll just consider you not guilty. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not that you're merely called not guilty, because, again, he's already declared us guilty. He's already said guilty. And just calling us not guilty would be a lie. Right. He's got to do something about the guilt itself. He's got to do something about it. And so that's what we're seeing here. By, by him just simply naming us not guilty, that would make him guilty. That would make him unjust. No. What he does is he declares all guilty, and then he justifies the believer. He declares us righteous. And so Paul is talking to him, um, talking about this. He declares us righteous in Christ. So the way this works is man is found guilty, all man is found guilty, which is what Romans 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20 says, all man is guilty. And then man's sins are applied or imputed to Christ. You've heard of the uh, the doctrine of imputation, your sins being imputed onto Christ, and guess what gets imputed onto you? His righteousness. So it's not just simply oh, I'll call you not guilty. It's literally, I'm going to take this and I'm going to apply it to him and then I'm going to apply what he had and give it to you. Yeah. Well, you asked a question earlier today about who in the group is sinners. Who is a sinner? Mm-hmm. And my guts were telling me, I'm not anymore. <laughs> I may sin, but I'm not a sinner because God's declaring righteousness. That actually opens up a big discussion, one we can have, because um, we can talk about it later, either after the fact, but there are, there are verses that seem to, to can, that, that Paul seems to consider himself still a sinner. So, again, I don't disagree with you, um, but it's, again, how we word it. We've got to be careful. I think when Paul does that, he's referring to himself before. No, he's not. He's talking about after, because he used the present tense. So... But again, what we still have to understand is, is, is he talking about our actions or is he talking about our position? And so we have to make sure that we're, we're paying attention to that. So that's why I say I agree with you. But when you get into bigger things. But I, I do want to look at a couple more verses. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And so while you're tur- look, turning to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we see the process is man is found guilty. That's step one. Step two is man's sins are applied to Christ. And step three is Christ's righteousness is applied to you. This is a legal way, not just some, oh, I think I'll do it this way kind of a thing. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, talking about Christ, obviously, that he, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I mean, ultimately, here's the gospel. It's one of, the, one of my favorite verses because you can, it's simplified. Um, you know, I can't say things in very few words, but Paul and the Holy Spirit could. That's for certain. Look at Romans 8, 33. We read verse 32. Look at verse 33. This is a favorite verse of a lot of things. So if we put on Christ's righteousness, our next thought would be then, who could mar that, right? Look at verse 33 of Romans 8. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now that God's elect is not you, my friends. That God's elect is Jesus Christ. No one can lay a charge to God's elect. It is God that justifies. See, how can anyone lay a charge to God's elect? It's God himself that justifies us. So there's no way that anything. We put on his righteousness. We are identified with him. That's what baptism, which is why 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We become identified in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And that's how God is legally able to, for the believer, to be, us to be able to put on his righteousness. 
Any questions about any of that? What about the election? Election? Election. So God chooses people to save. I don't believe God chooses people to be saved, no. I believe that He chose He chose the body of Christ. So in other words, um, anytime you and we can do that one of these days, and I've been meaning to do that at some point. When and I've got a great book. It's only about this thick. If anybody wants to read it, it does a great job of explaining. It's called the Power of God Under Salvation, and it, it really lays into the idea. When you look at these passages, it's it's we are chosen in Christ, meaning what we have in Christ. God chose that those things would be the case. He doesn't choose who gets to go into the body of Christ, but once you're in Christ. Those things that you have, those things are chosen. And so there's a big difference. And so, no, I don't believe that, I don't believe that God elects some to be saved. I believe that what it is is us in Christ, the things that we have, those things. So it means uh, the person chooses to uh, have faith. Mm-hmm. Calvinism teaches, right? Yeah, yeah. Calvinism. They don't believe that human being able to make a choice. That's right. That's that's what Calvinism teaches, and so I, 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 and, and um, almost everybody I know rejects Calvinism because of that that idea, and so the idea that God has chosen some to be saved and uh, has yeah. cho- chosen um, some not to be saved. And I know that they have um, nice, nice arguments uh, against uh, for their position. But when you study out what, what what Paul talks about, is the idea that once you're in Christ, you are predestined to have those things. I'm predestined in Christ to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so, in Christ, I have those things. And so. Uh, again, if anybody wants to read that book, or we can study it more. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't believe that um, uh, that that we are we are chosen to salvation. Yeah. Well, Calvin's position of irresistible grace, in other words, that you can't not be saved, uh, sort of just slaps in the face of man's free will, the way he was created, and so the two can't be. They can't exist together. Yeah. Um, Again, I, I see problems with Calvin's positions, and which is why I don't believe them. Uh, again, I think that the reason why people believe them is because you have these words in Scripture. You have these concepts in Scripture. And, and so, but again, when you rightly divide and you put things in context and you really look at things, I believe that you come, come to a different answer. Everyone's got to be convinced in their own mind. But no, I don't believe that um, God gives us the faith. To be to be to be saved, and I don't think God continues to give us the faith so that we stay saved. I believe that that you put your faith and trust in His finished work, and you are saved. It's done and over with. You can't walk away even if you try. And so, um, and what does what does that do? That gives Him all the glory. That gives Him all the honor, and at the same time, giving you the person today the same free will that Adam had. Adam had the free will to choose whether to take, take a bite of that fruit or not. God didn't give him the faith to make sure that he didn't do it. So, um, yeah. you, one of the questions that's always been in my mind, and I, I don't know the answer, mm-hmm. but is, did Adam really understand the impact of what he was doing? <laughs> Um, probably not, because every every lie has a little bit of truth in it. And I think that when Satan came, I think beat up on him. But yeah, I think when Satan came to him um, and talked to him about, for God knows that when you eat of the um, eat of this tree, you shall know good and evil. Satan was right, but I don't think Adam knew the the full um, weight of what that meant. Again, no, what, you will know Adam, good and evil. And so, no, I don't think Adam truly understood what he was doing, um, but I don't think that um, that excused him. Right. Yeah, yeah, he knew that he was told not to do it, and he did it anyway. And when we get to heaven, we don't get to 
bully up on Adam because you would have made the same choice. And so would I. Ignorance does have a, you know, the Bible has manslaughter versus murder. You know, you've heard of the, the cities of refuge, right, that the God set up in the different places. You know, if somebody committed a manslaughter, they could flee to a city of refuge. God did see a, a distinction between somebody who didn't really know what they were doing, and, and I believe that there was an aspect of that. It doesn't take away their guilt, but it does, um, you know, make a difference. How that all works, I'm not sure. Going with what Val said, it's like, Tell your child not to touch the stove. Mm-hmm. But if they touch the stove, they're going to be disobedient. They're also going to get burnt. They're going to get burnt too. Yeah. They're going to have the consequences of that, even though they didn't realize that was what the consequences were going to be. Sure. That's yeah. how I sort of looked at Adam. As yeah. Don't touch that. It's hot. Touch it. Now you know what burnt means, right? right? Right. And that's what my, my thing is. There's nothing else to go back to. That's Once right. you see who he is and the author of life, there is nothing else left but death. That's right. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And that's why I think Jesus describes it as two roads. So. When Valerie said the word hopeless early mm-hmm. on, yeah. I mean, I can just so easily remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sure. Yeah. And that's why all praise and glory be due to God. Okay, we'll start a few minutes late um, since you were going along. <laughs>